We play and call it work. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Sit and Talk. Featuring me, Luca. You have me for one hour or more. Definitely not less. Today, I will be sitting down and answering your questions that you left for me last week on Josh's Sit and Talk. And for next week, it'll be Steve. So if you have any questions for Steve, please feel free to leave them down below on the Mini Wargaming website in the comments section. That is where Steve will look to find his questions and the only place he'll look to find his questions. So if you have any questions for Steve that you want answered, leave them down below on the Mini Wargaming website's comment section under this video. That's pretty, pretty much it. We're gonna get into this. Uh, I got a lot of questions here from a lot of people and a lot of them are weird, so thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> most of them are kind of weird. Not like intrusive weird, but I don't know how to answer them weird, or I just don't actually know the answer to them weird. Like the first question is, uh, I was able to screen through a few of these before I do this, naturally, but you know, to get myself prepared and to give a little bit more concise answers instead of rambling on for three, four, 18 hours, the first one is from Negrom29 at Luca. I've come across many order characters in very short stories, novels, and some battle tomes that make the sign of the hammer while praying to Sigmar, warding off evil spirits, or just a thanks to Sigmar in general. What do I think the sign of the hammer looks like? Well, I've seen this referenced before. I've heard of this, though I've never... I've never heard it described. I've only heard of characters making the sign of the hammer. Whereas in like the Horus Heresy or 40K, the, the sign of the Aquila is it's described as like, you know, they put their hands together and they put it on their chest, right? They make the, the, the two-headed eagle. I don't know if they put their thumbs together, but I know they put their hands on their chest. It might just be like that. It's kind of like a pat pat sign of the Aquila. Now the sign of the hammer, that could be anything. It could be like a sign like you like you, you like you smash your hands together or you could like not fist bump, but you could like Bam, you know, I don't know, like, like a hammer like hits stuff, right? So it could be like your fist hitting something. It could be, that's all I got. <laughs> what, 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 I don't know what the sign of the hammer looks like. I have no idea. Uh, it, it's probably something aggressive. Not like aggressive, but like, you know, hammer-like. You know, hammers hit stuff. It could be bam. Or it could be, I don't know. I'm at a loss. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nagram. I do not know the answer to what. I even tried to Google it. Uh, I did before this. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I could find something online. Maybe there's like a description. I mean, I didn't put a lot of effort into the Google. I put a little bit of effort into it, but I couldn't find anything. In fact, I just found a little bit of information on the old Cult of Sigmar from Warhammer Fantasy, which I probably, if I delved a little deeper into that, maybe I could have found the answer. Okay, so I delved a little bit deeper and this is more for old Warhammer, so if it stayed true in Age of Sigmar, the sign of the hammer is kind of like the uh, make the signing of the crucifix, but you do it in the hammer shape instead, and you don't touch your forehead. So instead of doing like, you know, the, you go like, it's kind of like make a hammer instead, apparently, apparently, so says the internet. And then the sign of the comet, which I don't know how relevant that is in Age of Sigmar anymore. I've heard people say you're supposed to, cl they clasp their hands together, and you know they keep their elbows out, and that's like the sign of the twin-tailed comet. 
the the the, the fist together is the comet and the, the arms are the two tails or people literally just said it's this <laughs> or it might be like that it's one of the two it's literally the peace sign but or upside down peace sign uh, <laughs> kind of a disappointing answer i'm not gonna lie but that's what i found online with just a little bit deeper delving next question on the other hand though I can uh, jump to right now. In fact, let me just go back to that. We have from Random Roy. Luca, thanks for the epic review of the Space Marine Codex. Another thanks to Steve on that one because that was a lot of work. That was so much reading, guys. Like, it's been so long since I put that much, like, that much, like, focus on one book on making sure, because we read the Space Marine book and we're like, okay, so what's changed? What is their philosophy on rewriting this book? And it's like, okay, well, in, initially we, we noticed, okay, well, they cut that a little bit. They cut that a little bit. They changed that a little bit too for the worst. And that, well, that thing got a little bit better over here. And then it, it's it, more or less, it's like tweaks, like little tiny changes throughout the entire codex. And for the most part, it's, uh, they took a lot of hits in a lot of areas, but they're like tiny little hits that you won't, you're never going to really notice. Every now and then you'll be playing a game you're like, oh man, if I still did that, I'll get that. Or if, like, oh, if I had that still, I'd be fine. But like, it's not crippling changes because the Space Marines got to keep all their cool rules, their doctrines, their shock assault, and their bolter discipline. But they got hit in other areas. And then we noticed that literally every data sheet for the 98 data sheets in there, not counting the new ones though, were all changed in one way, shape, or another. So we ended up combing through that entire codex to try and find everything, and we didn't even catch everything. Like one of the one of the biggest things that we didn't catch was the fact that the impulsor and the repulsor lost the fly keyword, so they no longer get to move over models or buildings when they move. They're stuck to the ground like everything else. In fact, they even suffer the effects of da not dangerous but difficult terrain when they move over like walls or woods or anything like that, they're actually hindered by two inches when they move, and like that's wild. Like, that's a pretty big thing to miss, but that's in the keyword section, and you never would have thought they would have lost the fly keyword, but it was, it was interesting, to say the least. And the same was true for the Necron one, but that one was a, a little bit easier because everything was new, so we were looking at everything with fresh eyes, so we, we combed over everything as well, but it just felt like it was easier to pick up on the changes, whereas with the Space Marine Codex, there's like very small, subtle changes, like a sniper rifle for scouts are now AP1 instead of AP nothing, and just, okay, sure. Like there's like, there's that, but there's that, that's just like a one example on the 98 data sheets that are in there. Um, uh, you know, for the next part of it, I play a full Legion of the Damned Primaris Army. What do you think I should choose from all the options available as their chapter tactics, warlord traits, and relics that would be in keeping with their lore? Note, I don't buy into the lore that they're exclusively Ultramarine successors. Well, I do not want to disappoint you, Random Roy, but this follows into the category of I do not know the answer to this. Uh, I do not know much about the Legion of the Damned. Uh, back when they were really, really... I don't want to say relevant, but back when they kind of started popping their head out, like when I played 40k back in the day through 3rd to 6th edition, it was exclusively with my one friend, and my one friend only really played Ultramarines and Catachan Guard, and I played Necrons, and like that's it, that's like all I knew. I didn't really get into the expanded universe of 40k until 6th edition, like late 6th edition, like early 7th, and I read the the story for 7th edition, then I found out like about Tyranids, I found out about uh, Tau and all these orcs, like I kind of knew about them in a way because my friend would tell me about them, but I didn't know much about them, right? So when it comes to like the Legion of the Damned, 
which I consider to be a pretty obscure part of the Space Marine lore. All I know is they... I don't even know if this is true. I could be wrong. I probably shouldn't say anything at all, but like maybe like did they just show up? They kind of just appear when they're most needed sort of thing, and they're gone just as quick once they're, dealt, once they're done dealing with uh, whoever they're dealing with, and it's kind of like ghostly, almost like apparitions in a way. I don't know if they're actual like physical space marines or like they're like warp entities at this point. I don't know anything about the Legion of the Damned, and I'm very sad I can't give you a good answer, Random Roy, but you could go with whatever feels right. Like, I... I am going to trust that you know a lot more about them than I do, and you can make the right decisions with some research and playtesting, and you can figure out what you need them to play like to represent them how they should play. Uh, they certainly give you a lot of options when it comes to the Space Marine book. I was going to say interesting options, but then I kind of paused and interrupted myself there. They give you a lot of interesting options when you build your own Space Marine chapters or successor chapters, so... You can even change up from time to time. They can, maybe they could be an enigma and they just play different all the time. Who knows? They could be anything you need them to do. Anything you need them to do. And uh, you will probably know better than I do. So I'm sorry I don't have a good answer for you, but I, didn't even, I did not even know they were supposed to be exclusively or, or rumored to be exclusively Ultramarine successors. No idea. I had no idea on that one. Uh, we are going to have a mentality with the next question. Luca, can a monolith be a star steel unit? And if so... Can you use the pylon things to move it around the board? Now, no. I was kind of confused by this question at first when I first read through it. I'm like, what is a star steel unit? And then I kind of then you mentioned the pylon thing. I'm like, oh, is that like the is that the terrain? Is that the fortification thing the Necrons have? And it was. They had the star steel keyword, but the monolith does not have the star steel keyword. The monolith is stuck doing its own monolith things. The, the fortifications are like completely separate and on their own, their own entity and all that stuff. So no, they can't um, they can't do any of that stuff. Next question is Fuzzlet. Hey Luca, I've seen in the 40k games you guys are playing, you're rolling, ah yes, you're rolling dice individually just in case you want to use a command point to re-roll one with the command point re-roll strategy. I'm curious why you're doing it like this and not just rolling all the dice at once. I can't seem to find anywhere that specifies you have to roll them individually rather than as a group. Um, I, I know what, before going into details about this, let me go get the core rules, because I do know where it is, and I can actually tell the page number, and I'll be right back. Right, so it's on page 221 of the core rulebook. It's not in the actual middle where all the rules are. It's on a side, off to the side, called Henson Tips Fast Dice Rolling. And it says, this was true in 8th edition too, by the way. This was kind of in the same area, a little side panel. Thankfully, they have less of these now, but where the rules were kind of hidden away in a place you might not read because you're too focused on the actual rules. This is still technically a rule. It's uh, the rules for making attacks on page 220 have been written assuming you resolve them all one at a time, resolving one bulk on shot at a time, one last cannon shot at a time. However, it is possible to speed up your battles by rolling the dice for similar attacks together. In order to make several attacks at once, all of the attacks must have the same ballistic skill or the same weapon skill. They must also have the same strength and armor pattern characteristics. They must inflict the same damage and they must be affected by the same abilities. And they all have to be directed at the same unit. Now, we typically always do that, right? And I'll give you an example of some abilities why you shouldn't do it. But a lot of people do it anyways to save time and headaches. And then the next part, this is more important for saving rolls. And I can give an example as to why. Um, if this is the case, make all the hit rolls and wound rolls at the same time, your opponent can then allocate the attacks one at a time and make saves one at a time. Uh, 
uh, uh, and then it goes into example saying unless everything's all the same and all that stuff. But it, it does say, well, it doesn't actually say that for the second part. You shouldn't do that for a lot of cases because uh, a, an easy example would be, let's say, uh, let's say you have your warlord getting shot at by las cannons, right? Your warlord has three wounds remaining, whatever, and you have to make five saving throws. And you don't want to lose your warlord. You absolutely do not want to lose your warlord. Normally, a lot of you would just take all five of those wounds and be like, okay, say it's Karn the Betrayer, he has a four-up and vulnerable save. You take your five last cannon saves, and you're like, yikes, here we go, bam, you throw them all at once, and you fail one save. You're like, I can't believe I made four four-ups, and I just have to, I have to one save, but I can't risk letting it go through because I'm going to die, so I'm just going to command point, re-roll that save. Uh, then you, you know in that pool, and then, or and then you say you make it, bam, you saved your guy. Huzzah. Now... Let's say, assuming you're doing it the proper way and rolling your dice one at a time, you're rolling your saves on Karn, you have your, your five saves, you have to make your last cannon saves that are all D6 damage and you have three wounds left. You roll the first die, you fail the first die. You, you, say you roll the exact same, you make five saves. So you make four saves but fail the one, but the first one you roll or the second one you roll is a fail. Because you're rolling dice one at a time, you, you have to decide, you're supposed to Technically, the person's supposed to fire the last cannon, make the wound roll, and then you make the save roll, then you allocate damage, right? That's how you're supposed to kind of do it, but um, a lot of people skip that because that can be a little slow and arduous. But say you fail that first die roll on your, save, on your four up and one will save, and then you have to make the decision then, do I re-roll this, or do I take the damage, and then roll the other saves afterwards? Whereas in the other way, you rolled all the dice at once, and you've seen oh, I only failed one save, I know I can re-roll this. Whereas in the other reality, you're going to make the other saves, you just don't know that yet. So you have to make the decision there to re-roll the saving throw. And it's, kind of, it's, it's courtesy to your opponent. But if your opponent is more than okay with you seeing all the dice rolls before you make the decision to do the re-roll, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, there's a little bit more thought and risk versus reward behinding doing the behind doing the die rolls one at a time. You have to sit, it, it's, it's a little more stressful, right? And it, it does change the game up drastically. When, when you roll all your dice at once for your saves, you know exactly um, what, you, you, have, you have all this future knowledge already. And even the same thing is true for uh, seeing all your opponent's hits and wounds beforehand, right? But it's just a little bit easier to roll the saves one at a time and kind of stick true to how it was meant to be done. Now, of course, fast die rolling, say it's just like 20 bulk gun shots into 20 termagons, well, you don't really care. It's like, okay, I'll roll my saves at once. I, don't, I, don't, I, I literally have no intention of rerolling any saves here. They can just all die. Uh, or, you could, or you could just roll all the dice at once and say, I, I don't intend to reroll any of these dice. I'm just going to, bam, here we go. Whereas you're just hoping, like, if you fail all of them, you might, you know, kick yourself in the butt for declaring that. But that's typically why we're... We're rolling the saves one at a time in case we have to do a reroll because that's how it's written. To, that's how the rules were intended to be written. But that's how, sorry, that is the method you're supposed to do it in. That is the way the rules were, were written with in mind. Now, another example of why you shouldn't do all of your attack rolls in one go in like big lump sums, there's a few rules out there and I can name a couple off the top of my head. We'll say, we'll just say Gene Stealer. Now, we'll say Gene Stealers as a good example. They have rending talents. Now the way rending talons work is they are strength user AP1, one damage. But if you roll a six to wound with that weapon against a target, unmodified six to wound I believe, against that target, it, is, it changes to AP4. So say you throw 60 Gene Sealer cult attacks at your target, you hit and wound with uh, 30 of them, but of those 30, five of them are sixes. So 
there's no rules in here that say which ones do you do first, right? You just you you've always I'm sure a lot of you out there have just made the decision with your opponent like oh I'll just whatever I'll do the bad I'll do the minus four ones first or I'll do the uh, say you have like um I guess I'm trying to think of a, a mixed unit that has an invuln save in there like one model's got an invulnerable save you as a person making the saves see that there's five sixes there there's no rule that says you have to do the sixes first or if you have to do the other ones first you could just say oh you know what I'm gonna do all of the minus four ap's first on my three up invulnerable save model so I'm just gonna do get those out of the way whereas in reality you're supposed to roll the attacks one at a time those sixty gene stealer cult attacks. Roll the first one up, and then it's a it hits, it wounds, it doesn't roll six to wound. And then the player making the save is just AP1, so they have to make the decision. Do I put this on, oh crap, do I put this on the Storm Shield guy? No, I shouldn't say Storm Shield, but we'll say three up and vulnerable save guy. Assuming that there's probably going to be some sixes coming up, and I want him to have his invulnerable save for those sixes. But that means I'm going to have to allocate the rest of the attacks into this guy. And it's like, yikes, I don't know his worth worth it there because now that now they have to make a decision okay maybe i just allocate hits to this guy until he dies then the first six that comes up i'll put on the storm shield once that other guy is dead and you're supposed to roll one at a time and now i will fully understand why no one does that i wouldn't do that myself if i was playing gene stealers and i rolled a bunch of sixes to wound i'm saying you and i would just say to my opponent you can take those sixes to save in any order you want i do not care and leave it at that but the game is played one die roll at a time and you can speed it up if everything is the same and there isn't a weird ability like the gene stealer calls and there's a lot of them out there a lot more nowadays too where uh, sixes to hit or sixes to wound do something a little bit different or a little bit more damage something like uh, a little bit more damage sixes to wound do two damage right um do i do all the two and then there's a pool of two damage saves i have to make in addition to one damage saves and i have two wound models I'm like, oof, I'm going to do all the one damage saves first. Or you could be even a bigger of a jerk, and you, you could have a pool of five wounds that do two damage and uh, ten wounds that do one damage. I could do the one damage saves one at a time until I fail one, and then I put a wound on my model, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to do a two damage save to, to pretty much negate your entire rule. You could 100% do stuff like that. Like, you're supposed to roll attacks one at a time to resolve them properly one at a time. And... Uh, it's just a lot of people don't want to do that, and that's perfectly fine. It's just we typically like to do the saves one at a time here because it does leave for a little bit more uh, stress and excitement, I suppose. And hopefully that was insightful. Hopefully that whole ramble uh, kind of uh, enlightened you. Because, by the way, this was the exact same in 8th edition. How You're supposed to resolve attacks one at a time. That's how it was supposed to be. No one did it. Even we didn't do it. And I was always curious why we never did it, but I'm like, ah, whatever. I don't like. I didn't really care that much. We were just playing the game, right? What does it really matter? And then, but the difference in eighth edition and ninth edition was that once you allocate an, uh, a save, a wound to a model in ninth edition, and they make a save roll and they pass it, the rest of the wounds have to go towards that model too. Whereas in eighth edition, you could hypothetically put all the AP four attacks onto a storm shield with a three up and vulnerable save, assuming they took no damage from it you could then put the other attacks that have no AP into the squad. So they cleaned that up a little bit. That was, that was janky, and people could pull that off, and that was no good. Uh, next question. Uh, Bulldog Sith 13 Luka, 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 question about membership levels. I've seen a few places on the website where there is a mention of a gold-level membership, but only silver and bronze are available to be purchased or subscribed to. Where is this mythical gold level, what's in it, and how can I get it? Well... The gold level is reserved for the elite few. 
those who are invited to be a gold member. And I'm sorry that this question was brought up and I had to enlighten everyone to this. It's in reality, the gold level membership was for uh, back in the day where you could um, get a discount at the Mini Wargaming store when we had the online store. So if you're a gold vault member, you would also get a discount on our store. And then when the store closed down because of Games Workshop policy changes back uh, many years ago, um, the gold membership was taken away. And then Matt and Dave contacted all the gold members and let them know. And they're essentially just grandfathered in. They just get all the benefits of the bronze and silver. And then they're just gold for the sake of being gold. And a lot of them just wanted to support us and stick with the gold membership and pay a little bit extra for that gold border and just say, you know what, I'm okay just being gold. I don't really care about the store thing. And so that's why if you ever see a gold member kind of kicking around, they just grandfathered in and they just wanted to keep it because they wanted to keep it and support us. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that's also kind of funny and I understand why some of them would do that. The gold membership is not a thing anymore though because the rewards for it don't exist anymore. So we don't offer it. But the silver membership is the highest one. And in fact, the silver membership, a lot of you might not know, but if you go to the vault section on the website, there is a ton of companies in there that you get discount codes for, for being a silver vault member. Terrain, Models, Dave's working on with a lot of other companies right now too. So keep checking back in on that because there's a lot more to come in that section. That's something that Dave's been like working on for the past week or so. We have uh, Gaz B. Luca, with the announced upcoming Forge World book, do you think we will see the Death Core of Krieg get a list that is able to generate an army in the same way as other codices and supplements, fulfilling things like relics and warlord traits specific to them to make them the fully themed and capable force that they should be? Many thanks, Gaz. Well, Gaz, I would love that. Absolutely. I would love to see both the Death Core and Renegades and Heretics come back with a full-fledged army force. Now, I don't know what Forge World's plans are with the Imperial Armor books. I believe they're called Imperial Armor. Um, the indexes before were just a very loose, this is what you can bring in an army, uh, this is rules for these units that are allowed to be in other armies, like Titans and uh, like Leviathan Dreadnoughts and Hellforge stuff. And then they had I think they had army lists for Renegades and Heretics, and they had army lists for the Death Corps Creek, I believe. Now, I would absolutely hope they did this, without a doubt, like, but I don't know. Do I think they will? I'm, 50, I'm split. I'm 50-50. I think it'd be super smart if they do, but they didn't in the past, so why would they now? But I hope they would, because I think it'd be incredible. I would love for everyone out there who has the Death Corps Creek army or a Renegades and Heretic, I would love if they just came out with a codex for both those armies and just, here you go, well, Death Corps Creed don't really need a codex, they can just have a supplement to the Imperial Guard book, but the, the Renegades and Heretics, I guess that could be a supplement too. I, think, I don't know, maybe they would need their own codex, but I'm talking about using models from the Blackstone Fortress line and Renegade Guard, just cultists and vehicles and cool rules. I know Steve would jump on that army in a heartbeat. I would have a blast playing against it. It'd be cool to have a chaos faction that isn't just always space marines, you know? Uh, the guard represent a large faction. Like, when you think about it, there's not a lot of chaos space marines. I mean, okay, compared to like Imperium chaos space marines, sure, I don't know if they're on the same level, but because of the warp and the eye of terror, 
Uh, sometimes you, you could fight a Chaos Space Marine that you, like, uh, like you as a Space Marine could be fighting a Chaos Space Marine you killed like 30 years ago because of how weird and distorted time is that you just be fighting that same Chaos Space Marine from an earlier incarnation of their life and then maybe if you kill them there then it just messes, like time is weird when it comes to the warp so there could be like effectively like limitless Chaos Space Marines but the, 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 the worshippers of chaos make up the bulk of the chaos forces, the chaos fleets. The chaos fleets aren't commanded by massive amounts of space marines. There's going to be chaos space marines on these ships, and some of them do command these ships. But there are admirals on chaos ships that are worship that are just worshippers of chaos, and they 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 do not agree with the Imperium's policies or the philosophy of what the Imperium is, and they they live off on their own in their own planets that aren't under Imperial control and in the Eye of Terror and all that stuff. There, there, there is a massive unrepresented force of chaos that deserves to be written about more or have an army on the table and Blackstone Fortress has some of those models, right? It's just, I, I learned a lot about that by playing Battlefleet Gothic more. I'm like, wait a second, I mean, you're playing Chaos and like, when Chaos first came out in Battlefleet Gothic, they weren't even, they were, there was no Space Marine rules for them. You were literally just playing the Chaos version of the Imperial Navy. And it was so cool. I'm like, wait a second, this makes sense. Yeah, there's not just space marines. There's entire, like, just billions of chaos worshippers that are parts of the chaos factions, and they're just not represented. And it's just, I would love to see that. I, I know this was about Deathcore Creek, but I got I went off on a little tangent. Now, I absolutely believe that they should get their own rules, Deathcore Creek and them, as well as any other armies that are evading my memory right now that are forge ruled only. Uh, well, there's chapters spe uh, specifically, but I think they usually get a little bit of love every now and then. Uh, next question is from Mentality again. Mentality, I think I just answered. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. All right. Luca, can you try a list with the new fortification? Use it for board control, though. Place all three at max distance on the very front of your deployment. Then you bring a bunch of warriors, arcs, spiders, scarabs, etc., and use the fortification to jump your troops around. Also, if you want, you can bring an extra three to sit in the back around your objectives and they can block Deep Strike. Now, for... Uh, I don't like fortifications in 40k. I don't know why. I just don't really... I've never brought them. I've never really fought against them. I... They're cool. I like these, the Necron Star Steles, uh, Star Steels, but they just... Uh, they have 12-inch range on their guns. They teleport around, sure, that's really cool. And I, I believe they increase my uh, leadership by two. <laughs> they do a couple of other things as well. Maybe there's, maybe there's more to them than meets the eye. I, I will try them if we ever get them. We don't currently have any in stock. In fact, I don't think Games Workshop has them available yet either. There's a few, like Ophidian Destroyers, the Star Steels, ooh, the Void Dragon. Uh, none of that stuff we have yet. And we have, they're currently working on everything else that we do have, so more Scorpex, like they have the Warriors in box, they have the Scorpex Destroyers in box, Doomstalkers, Locust Heavy Destroyer, um, and the Hexmark Destroyer, it's the, uh, the Necron version of Billy the Nid. But I mean, if we get them, I will for sure try them out. I think their only real purpose would to be block, lining a, block line of sight or block pathways I don't want my enemy to go through or to just deny any enemy reinforcements showing up in my back lines. And that's pretty much it, because they can't hold objectives. They have a 12-inch range gun, and they're, I think they're like over 100 points for three of them too, so I'm not too, like I'm not, I'm not really in love with them, but I'll try them. Marshy, 3096. Hey Luca, another question. 
if that is a-okay. That is a-okay, my man. Have you seen the new Middle Earth supplement, The Quest of the Ring Bear? I have. I have it upstairs. It's still wrapped up. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Been distracted with all the new releases in 40K. Uh, you can make a custom fellowship. Oh, that's cool. And play out the missions within it. Is this something you'd be interested in doing? Absolutely. I Like anything Lord of the Rings, um, the strategy battle game related, absolutely interested in it. It's just, I've had to put it on the back burner for now. I have finished a good amount of my Gondor soldiers, so I have a Gondor force going, as well as my Isengard and like generic whatever orcs want to fit into. I have a little bit of them I need to work on. But because of all the new Necron models coming out, I've kind of shifted focus on that. I painted up some rays, I built Locust Destroyers, um, the Doomstalker, Doomstalkers or Doomwalkers? The new Canoptic, Canoptic Walker with the Doom Cannon on it, the Doomsday Cannon on it, Blaster technically and the Hexmark Destroyer. So like they're like, that's like what I'm focused on right now. And then I have to work on more warriors and I got to work on, oh, the Locust or the, the Scorpec Destroyer Lord. Like I got my own box of Indominus I have to work on. So like that's pretty much my main focus for now, but I would absolutely, I have to read the rules. Like, like I vaguely remember the rules. It's been a few months. It's been about half a year or more than, oh, maybe eight months since I last played my Lord of the Rings game, but I would absolutely be interested in doing something. I wonder what it means by custom fellowship. Like, do you make your own heroes? Do you use different heroes, like an alternate reality Lord of the Rings? Like, do you use Faramir instead of Boromir kind of thing? Or do you use, I'm trying to think of other characters right now. Like, what if Theoden's son's in the fellowship this time? But what if the, some, some, he sends his son to Rivendell and Thadrid? I think his name's Thadrid. Another, I'm trying to remember. You know, stuff like that. That'd be kind of cool. Or do you just like make your own heroes and then they kind of follow Frodo around. It's kind of hard to beat Aragorn though. Aragorn's so good. Mighty hero. Oh, he's, he's so oppressive. Aragorn's terrifying. They're all really good, right? But like Aragorn is like so much better. Oh, uh, he gets one mighty turn. I, I think it depends on what sword he has actually. I can't remember. It's been a while since I played, but I would absolutely be interested in something like that. All right, we got another question. We got a couple questions here from uh, Mylin. Uh, we'll start with the first one. Luca, if you're put in charge of Horse Heresy, of the Horse Heresy the game, and we're told to make the game more popular and profitable, what would you do? Yikes. Yikes. That's a tough question, Mylin, because evidently the change from what I would consider a superior edition or foundation of the game to what 40k is now in 9th edition, which is fine, but still not as good as it was back in the day was the right choice for Games Workshop. Like without a doubt, without even a shadow of a doubt, like they are much more profitable because of it. 40K is flying off the shelves. There are constantly new players coming to the game. I can't tell you how many people, friends of friends that have all suddenly become invested in 40K, the lore of 40K. At first they're mostly about playing it, but then you know, they, they still happen to read their book and like, oh, that's kind of cool actually, that's cool writing. And then they're like, oh, I'll delve a little bit deeper. It's just enthralled so much more people into the hobby and altogether all that is just so good. Like that is just so healthy for the hobby. And I'm more than, I'm, I, am, I am elated that Games Workshop did that. But I'm also happy that the Horus Heresy has stuck with uh, the updated 7th edition codex. It was just a very clean, tight rule set. Um, and it's just, I love it. I love everything about it, like how everything's resolved. And it's just, it just feels good, right? I love that minutia. I love that. The, the grindy nature of it. I, give me any game like that. Give me, give me any game where it takes m like minutes to resolve one simple attack. Like you shot at my tank and then you have to 
now in some of the editions, pretty basic. Like, you know, roll on the armor fecal damage table and it explodes or it loses a weapon. And then, you know, it, it, even then that does take like maybe 30 seconds to resolve. You have to roll on the damage table, trying to remember what it was. And typically most people do. And then, oh, maybe it's weapon damage. And then your vehicle has like six weapons on it. And you have to randomize which of the weapons are actually destroyed from that penetrating hit. And I love stuff like that. That's why I like um, Titanicus or I've heard Battletech can be pretty grindy like that too. I've never played it. I know Matt's really into Battletech, but... I love anything like that. Give, give, give me a game that takes five minutes to resolve one shot, and I'm sold. Absolutely. If every little detail is... I remember one time, I was playing against Steve in Fantasy, and he had his... I can't remember if it was... No, it was his elf on... It doesn't matter what dragon it was. But I shot a Reaper Bolt Thrower at it, and I did the single shot, because I'm like, ah, whatever. I'm not really going to accomplish much with this anyways. Then you have to randomly see if you hit the rider or the mount. And I hit the rider, I killed the rider, and the rider went flying, like, so I shot the, this bolt at this dragon in the sky, hit the rider, kills the rider, and then the dragon immediately lands, and he had to go roll on a monster reaction table to see what it does, and then I think he rolled um, the, the one where he has to guard his uh, master. So it, it just, you, he doesn't leave from where his master's body is. He's kind of hoping it'll come back to life, or maybe he's just wounded and needs to protect him, but in reality it's dead, so that's kind of sad. And then the dragon is not allowed to move at all, and it just defends that position. It attacks whatever it attacks it, and it can do flame breath attacks from where it is if anything gets too close. But I love stuff like that. And that just doesn't happen in Age of Sigmar or 40k too much anymore. But I understand why it doesn't, because they're trying to streamline the game and make it more accessible for everyone. And, you know, maybe you don't have to look up the rule book every two minutes when you're a new player to try and remember, how do I move this model over this piece of terrain, right? It's just very basic when it, in 9th edition now, and it, it's clean, and it's concise, and I like it, I do. I just prefer the older stuff a little bit more. But, wow, that was a bad ramble, sorry. But how to, back on topic about how I would make the Horus Heresy more popular and profitable, the easy answer is to have it shift to 9th edition as well. But I don't want to do that. I would, I would not want to be put in that position. I would try my best to... I think they're doing a good job. Like, I don't... Uh, they're, they're coming out with new stuff. They were, on, they were on that hiatus there for a little bit where nothing was really coming out. And now they're back on track. They're coming out with a new book. They, uh, they are releasing new models. And it's just, it's just a different way to play 40K, right? And I think that's where its beauty comes in. Also, the fact that the Horus Heresy is an awesome, awesome story right it's just it's so there's so much going on and there's so many characters and there's so many there's so many bites to resolve and there's so much narrative you can do with it because it's funny enough a historical fictional war game <laughs> fake history it's because i i don't know you, you you recreate so many fights you have the primarchs it just feels nice to play it right and I just like its rule set a lot too, but I, I, I appreciate that it's different from 40k, because if, if it was just the same, then, I don't know, I mean, you could just play it narratively, but I like that there's that clear difference. I like, I like having the differences in my war games. I like the difference in Fantasy and Age of Sigmar. I appreciate them for their own reasons. 40k and the Horus Heresy, same thing, and all that stuff. I wouldn't even know, man. Like, I, I think the easiest answer is to bring it online with 9th edition. Like, rewrite all the rules for everything. These are the stats for... Uh, make sure they write the the stats for the weapons making sure that they make sense in 9th edition instead of doing like a, a copy paste like well this did this in 7th edition so it should do this now anything that was AP5 is AP1 or anything that was AP4 is AP1 and anything that was AP3 is AP2 or pretty much and then anything that was AP2 
is AP3 or AP4, or maybe they want to give a little more damage, and, and then things have to do the appropriate amount of damage and all that too. But I you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that. I would not want to make that call, but I think that's what the call would have to be. If that would get that would definitely get a lot of the players of ninth edition to try it out because they've heard of this horse heresy, but it's like oh it's a different rule set. It's very expensive to get into. But I mean realistically, you can just like come on guys. There's no one saying that if you and your friend want to try and dabble in the Horus Heresy, maybe grab the book and just play with your 40k armies. You, you literally just, you play with your Ultramarines versus your friend's Iron Warriors. It doesn't matter if you have Primaris Ultramarines, they're just tactical Marines of the Horus Heresy. They're just bigger tactical Marines. You could 100% do stuff like that. And then, you know, try and recreate battles that they had back then and all that good stuff. Uh, the second question from Mylan, are Necrons just better than Space Marines right now? I don't think so. Uh, but uh, it's going to take a much smarter person than me to figure that out. Someone who is going to have to comb through the Necron book to find... Someone's going to find what's really good. I am, I am elated with the Necron Codex. I am more than happy with it. Uh, obviously certain things have changed. Things that were good before are not good now. You're going to have to buy new stuff. What a surprise. Games Workshop does that all the time. Um, that's their... I mean, they are trying to sell models. So, I mean, I would not be, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. And just people are going to have to find a new way to play that is good. Now, that, that, that I've always just kind of played Necrons. If I lose, I lose. But I'm here to kind of have that nostalgic memory of playing Necrons when I was younger. And I, I always have a good time playing them, win or lose. The, my, the thing I'm most happy with is that I would build a list to play in 8th edition. And it would have a, an idea of what I wanted to accomplish with it. But that, that idea would just unravel so quickly or just fall apart so easily if my opponent's army was even moderately okay. These Necrons are so bad last edition, unless you did a couple specific builds that people found out were pretty effective uh, for Necrons, especially against Marines who were pretty powerful in the meta too. And now it's just gonna take that, it's gonna take a few competitive players, a few very insightful players to figure it out, and it won't take long for that to get on the internet. And then from there, it will spread everywhere. Um, this ties into another uh, an issue I have with internet and games. The internet is a collective mind of intelligence, right? And it's it ruins games, in my opinion. It has ruined a lot of uh, games with friends where arms races typically ensue, where you both buy a starter box and you both play the game, and uh, you're both at equal levels at first, right? And then one person naturally gets a little bit better and they start figuring out the game a little bit more and they sneak out a couple wins and then the person who's losing well, maybe they're having a hard time comprehending the rules a little bit more, and so, or maybe they don't. Maybe they just do a lot of research online and get better, and that is healthy. That is the healthy part of the internet. Another thing I don't like is the person who goes to find how to play better online, and they find out, well, it's not that I need to play better, it's just my army's bad, so I'm just going to go, or maybe that's what they read. That might not necessarily be true, but then they go read online about, oh, but here's this one list that manipulates the rules in this one regard, and you're allowed to bring this many guys and they're this cost effective and you're, if you're not playing this, then you're not really playing the army. And I hate, I hate it when that stuff gets online. And I hate it when people kind of fall trapped to that and they kind of lose that creative urge to build their own lists and play their own way. And this is also true in Magic the Gathering where competitive Magic the Gathering, and I'll be honest, it's a, a flying joke, right? There's no, no, like it's very rare. Like the majority of the players just copy paste whatever deck they find online, learn how to play and play that deck. Now, I do have respect for the meta changers in all aspects of the games who are constantly like, essentially those, these decks or these army lists they find online are yesterday's news and they're already working on 
what's going to be the next big thing and what's going to take those out. And then those eventually make it online and everyone plays those. And I mean, I've, I've, I've done that lots of times for Warhammer. If, if I'm going to a tournament and I don't really have a whole lot of time to prepare, I'll do a little bit of research online, collect models we have here, try and learn how to play that army and see what I can do. And it does well or it doesn't do well. Like I have no, no grand ambitions with it. I just want to try that out. Some, like I've definitely gone with my own list and I'll be honest, I've just been crushed because I didn't do proper research or this is Necron specifically back in eighth edition where I, I didn't, I did not want to run. I did research for the Necrons. I'm like, that's a stupid list. I don't want to run that. I'm just going to run what I used to love doing back in the day. And it's never really worked. And I, I going to that, I knew it, but then I was kind of, you know, you get tired of losing. So you want to go in, I tried the Necron list out and I'm like, okay, well it did do really well. And what a surprise, you know, I, I placed well, or I would, uh, but I, I didn't like that list. So then I would eventually go off and man, Okay, I'll, I'll end the story here. Then I eventually go off and play like Guard, try out Guard list, or I'll try out Iron Hands list, and you know, examples like that. So I'm, I'm I, I, I kind of a hypocrite when it comes to that, because I do that too. It's just, I just wish the internet didn't influence games as much as it does. You know, same thing with video games too. Like, like Among Us, like me and all my friends play Among Us, and it was kind of naturally beautiful at first, and then people start looking at like meta ways to play online, and then they start implementing those ways, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, if you don't do this or you don't say that, then you're obviously lying. It's just like you're just you're just accused no matter what. It's just ugh, awful. The internet has an awful influence over the metas of games, and it's just it is what it is, right? It's just the nature of the beast. I just wish it wasn't that way, but it is. Like, I'm trying to remember playing Magic back in the day before we. You uh, even really knew about its like its its presence on the internet. There's the word I'm looking for. And we used to play like just block constructed cards. And like our one friend Brian was just always way better than any of us. And we would try our best to make these really good decks. But he was just always better at theory, like deck theory, than any of us were. So he always crushed us. And it was it was it was it was. It was it wasn't that fun, realistically, because we, we never knew how to get better without using the internet's help. And then once we all figured out about the internet, then yeah, then it was no problem. We'd all just go buy these super powerful cards, put them in our, in our decks. We were told how to use those cards, the best ways to use those cards, cards that we didn't even know existed. And then, yeah, it got really bad there for a bit. But then we've evolved past that. <laughs> it took a while, though. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so are Necrons better than the Space Marines is the initial question. Yikes. I, I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know. Like, as of right now, the way I want to play Necrons, I don't think so. I think, like, I played a game with Steve. Spoiler alert, I ended up winning that game. And it was with a list I would typically, typically play. I definitely, like, you know, Space Marines and Necrons, I think we're looking at more something like this, right? Like, who knows? Who knows? I think that someone's going to quickly find something really powerful with Necrons, and the same will be true for, someone will find the new flavor of Space Marines, and then we'll have to figure it out from there. I apologize for my long tangents, but you know what? I'm just feeling chatty today, I suppose. Ooh, I had to grab a drink. My throat was dry. Now, uh, next question up is uh, from Sal Chaket. Sal Chaket. Luga, Luga, Luga. I got into Warhammer with Fantasy, and it is still my favorite game to this day. Couldn't agree more, my man. I just barely joined the vault because of the content uh, myself and Steve have shown, and was wondering, will there be more Fantasy content coming to Mini Wargaming? Yes. Uh, not right now. We're trying to 
get caught up on all the Age of Sigmar and 40k content that is now coming out in massive waves again because there was obviously the break due to the pandemic. No, that's all coming back, but that aside, uh, Games Workshop is back on their massive constant release schedule of all things Age of Sigmar and 40k related, and that's our most popular content, so it makes the most sense for us to cover that, and we're kind of back on full focus on that. But we are planning out to make more room for the more specialty games in the future. Uh, to, well, to help us keep sane too, so we get to play some of the other games that we really, really, really love playing, like uh, Lord of the Rings, which I was talking about earlier, Fantasy, um, Horse Heresy being one of the big ones too for Josh and myself, Titanicus, another one for Josh and I. But it, there will be more coming, I just don't know when, and I can't make any promises as of right now. But uh, as a side question, I know Fantasy isn't the most popular game, uh, it is hard to find people to play against, so I've decided to dip my toes into Warhammer 40k for the first time, but it's a lot, and it is. It's just as old as Fantasy, but it's stuck around, so it's had even more... Well, sorry, it's not just as old as Fantasy. Fantasy is older than Warhammer 40k, and Warhammer 40k is literally like a parody on Fantasy, but 40k took off, right? 40k became very popular as a, a satirical parody, and any recommendations on where to start? Okay, so with Warhammer 40k, it is got uh, decades of... I shouldn't say bloat, but bloat to it. Not not in a negative way, but it's got a lot, a lot, a lot to it, right? There's so much books, there's so much, uh, so much army knowledge, and so much changes and constant changes and old models and new models and like, but like, what army do you even start with? Like, I wouldn't even like. There's so many armies in 40k. I wouldn't even know what to tell you. Uh, typically, everyone has a space marine army. I have a space marine army. I have space wolves. Steve's got dark angels. Josh. Keeps saying he doesn't have a Space Marine army, but he literally has Death Watch, which are Space Marines. So, I mean, that is a Space Marine army. So I don't care how many times Josh says he doesn't have a Space Marine army because he hates Space Marines, he has a Death Watch army. So, <laughs> Grey Knights, all that, all that counts as Space Marines. Everyone has a Space Marine army, so a safe bet is to start with Space Marines. But, if you're not interested in the Imperium's finest, there is always the Chaos Space Marines, which have been historically bad throughout the ages. Could 9th edition be their edition? Who knows? Uh, I, don't, I don't believe Chaos Space Marines have had good internal... And this is a hot take, but I don't think Space Marines, Chaos Space Marines specifically have had good internal balance in their book since 3rd edition. And I, 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 I'm adamant about that now. Not that they haven't been good since then. They've always had some dumb build that, albeit it might not make sense or it does make sense, it doesn't really matter. They've, there's always been that one build that's competitive and good and considered good and you can win with it, right? But it's, that doesn't take away from what I said about internal balance. Like, there are just some units in Chaos, there have always been units in Chaos Space Marine codexes that have been really cool but really bad. You, the, you could not just build a list out of anything you wanted in that book and expect to win most of the games you play. That is what I mean by internal balance. Every option in your book has to be good in what it does in some way. But there are some units in that book that are just strictly outdone by other units. So why would you ever bring that unit, right? And there's a lot of examples on that. And that's, uh, that's been Chaos's problem for a long time. Somehow, they make it work with Space Marines. Like, because I, 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 was, I was about to say, like, well, they have a lot of options, so it is hard to balance all that. And I don't, I don't blame them. But then I'm like, well, Space Marines, there are a lot of flavors of the same thing, but they do find a way to make them all kind of relevant and useful in their own way. Um, so kudos to them for that, but that might have more to do with the fact that Space Marines are all kind of cut from the same cloth, so they all kind of do the same. They're like a jack of all trades, and they just have units that specialize in those things, but Chaos Space Marines are a little more skewed into certain things, like Corn Berserkers, for example, right? And 
like assault intercessors are like the close combat equivalent for them, but I mean, they still have heavy bolt pistols. They're not bad at shooting, right? And all that kind of stuff. But where would you begin? So I would recommend Space Marines. Failing that, you'd have to look at the three main things. You'd have to look at uh, Xenos armies, Imperium armies, or Chaos armies, and then you make your pick from there. Typically, everyone has a Space Marine army. I would then highly recommend you buy, you get a friend who's interested in playing with it, and you just buy a starter box, or you both buy a star collecting box for those armies you're interested in. You build them, play with them, paint them, do whatever you want to do, and then I would highly recommend doing a lot of research beforehand too, because a lot of the armies all play so very, very differently that uh, you might not like the playstyle of an army compared to its lore if you want to go into it that regard. like. Maybe you want to play Tau and you like the way the Tau mechanically play, but you have no interest in their lore, or maybe it's the other way around. The lore of the Tau is really cool, but it turns out, oh, they only really play one phase of the game, and I actually want to be more interactive in the game, so Tau actually don't interest me that much. Uh, maybe you want to very, like, maybe you want to play like Death Guard, who are good at like all the phases, right? Or Thousand Suns, who are like just really good in the psychic phase, and pretty okay in the shooting phase, but they don't do the close combat phase so well with most of their units. Stuff like that. I don't know, that's, there's a lot of things to consider. I would say Space Marines because they do all the phases very well. Uh, there is the most uh, common lore about them, or there's the most open lore. That's not true. There's, there's just a lot of available access to knowledge on Space Marines everywhere. You can make your own chapter. You can find where your favorite chapter is. There's just so much you could do. And I'm, I don't know if people find it annoying that I'd recommend Space Marines. I think it's just the safest bet when introducing someone new to the game. Or maybe you see Tyranids and you fall in love and you just go with the Tyranids. That's also a safe bet. Just go with and just go with go with your gut. I always say go with your gut no matter what. But if your gut doesn't have anything to tell you, then and you and you still really want to try out something in 40k, but your gut's not there for you, I'd say Space Marines. But then if you don't have that gut instinct, then maybe maybe it's not for you, right? It's it 40k is literally just fantasy in space. That's what it was, and that's kind of still what it is when you really think about it but there's just a lot more to it now than what there initially was. Like, the units were, like, in Rogue Trader, there's literally called, like, Space Elf and Space Orc. <laughs> and the psychic powers were just space magic, essentially, and it was... You see where I'm going with that, because their fantasy line was successful. They had Warhammer, and they're like, well, how do we sell more models? Let's just, I don't know, let's just make fantasy in space. They call it Warhammer uh, 40K. Why 40K? I don't know, it's in the year 40,000, or, like, the year 39,000... 999 really yeah why not and let's make it super fascist and awful and uh, all that stuff and it's just okay sure why not and bam it's super successful i mean i love it everyone loves it in fact there's like <laughs> there's uh there's a bunch of weird uh articles online and about the success of 40k and like the, the, the oddness of how people think the Imperium is cool and uh, people want to emulate the people, you know, I don't know if people actually want to emulate the Imperium, I hope not, but uh, thinking the Imperium is cool, thinking that Inquisitors are, is cool, are cool, I mean, when you really think about it, <laughs> they shouldn't be cool because they're awful, right? It's just so bad. And I don't know, but the, oh, the setting of it's amazing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always in this weird state of like, man, the like 40K sure is cool. Inquisitors sure are really cool. The Necrons are awesome. But wait, what they do is really not cool. Oh, man, if that was in reality, none of this would be okay. But that's why it's fictional, right? That's... <laughs> okay, next question. We've got uh, from Infinity. Luca, I heard that you're going to try Star Wars Legion. 
What is your opinion on the tabletop system? Any chance to cover it at Mini Wargaming? I personally felt or fell totally in love with that system, and in general, I am a fan of the FFG games. Now, I do like fantasy flight games. They always have this weird, like, let's do movement different, let's do dice different, let's let's do gameplay different, because they just want to be, they, it, and it works. It works a lot. They do it with their RPGs. Uh, they do it with their tabletop games. I have no qualm. I've had a ton of fun playing fantasy flight games. Now, the only problem I've had with fantasy flight games is how weirdly competitive it gets so quickly. It's they came out with Star Wars Legion, and it was immediately successful, and it was super fun. And then I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have any interest in the Rebels when it first came out because I've always hated the Rebels. They're just stupid terrorists, and the. Imperium, the Empire, always interested me, but literally everyone I knew wanted to play the Empire. I'm like, I don't want to do like Empire on Empire versus Empire versus Empire. So I'm like, no one's playing Rebels. So I'm like, you know what? I will play this game when they expand upon it more because we, we, we assumed they were going to. And, you know, they're going to, maybe they'll do the Clone Wars or maybe they'll do like Scum and Villainy because I didn't, I wasn't too sure what, what direction they were going to go in. But they kind of just said, you know what, screw it. We're going to release all these cool factions from different timelines and you just play them together because it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't, not at all. So they came out with the CIS the Trade Federation, and they came out with the Republic, and I was like, I'm sold, done. CIS robots, 100%. I am definitely Roger Rogering all over my opponents whenever I can. So I buy a couple starter boxes, I split with a couple friends, uh, and Josh plays the Empire. So it's pretty much me and Josh that have it. Cullen's currently painting my CIS because I was working on it, and he's like, I could totally paint that like real quick, real, like I, I want to try out some, like I was painting it and working on it, and then Cullen's like, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm like, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so he's, I, I have these ideas I want to try on. It would be so easy to just be contrast. I'm like, by all means, my man, go for it, right? So he took them off my hands. He's working on them. And Josh, his empire is, I think, pretty much mostly done. We still have, like, we play it off camera, Josh and I, but we haven't had time to do any recording of it. And that kind of falls in line with, like, the other games we would like to record for the channel. And one of those would be Star Wars Legion. But my only concern is that a lot of people... Now, you might believe this or not, but a good majority of the players of Star Wars Legion are all very competitive when it comes to it. And it's, 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 it's like my way or the highway sort of, sort of deal with that, where if you're not building the absolute best list you could build at the time, then why are you playing the game? And it's, it's kind of the same with X-Wing, too. I had a lot of fun playing X-Wing. But every time I tried to play X-Wing and pickup games, everyone was just playing really competitive lists, and no one was playing like stuff for fun. It was just, I was, getting, I was getting my butt kicked every time I tried to play. And everyone had, like, I just had the cards out of, like, the starter decks or, like, the cards that came with the ships. And I, I, I was more focused on 40K, but I thought the idea of X-Wing was very cool because they were already painted models. The rules for the movement were amazing. The game was awesome. Super fun when I played the starter set with my one friend. And then me, uh, me and my friend stopped playing together. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to keep playing, so I'm going to go to my local gaming store and play with them on their X-Wing night. And I was just getting beat bad. Beat, and I, I'd get beat on, like, turn one or turn two. And I'm like, okay, well, let's try again. Maybe, maybe you just dice and I get beat again. And I just... I didn't stand a chance. He's like, and then my opponent would eventually tell me, like, yeah, your list is kind of like really bad, man. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do. Are you trying to like try out something new? I'm not too sure. I'm like, no, I'm just, this is like starter stuff I bought. And it was just, I just didn't really want, I guess I didn't really want to expand on it more than that. And my focus is more on 40K at the time. So there's that. But I like, I, that's my perception of Fantasy Flight games, that they get very competitive very fast. Uh, now, Star Wars Legion does have a little, a lot more narrative players than the other ones I'm aware of. But my experience with Star Wars Legion was very competitive games almost immediately, and, I'm, and then I tried to. I was playing my 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 robot army unpainted with my friends, and it was uh, I had the binocular guy in there. I had the special weapon, 
And I was doing okay, whatever. I, and I was playing with Dooku and Grievous because I bought Dooku. Cause I, I initially wanted Dooku, but the starts that came with Grievous, I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll play with both of them. And I was doing okay. I was winning some... Uh, Drop my ring. I was playing some games every now and then. and Or winning some games every now and then. And then I would just... Uh, I, and then my friends started doing some research online. And they eventually like, oh, you know what? I never considered the short... This was back when short troopers were like... Before they got hit real bad, he was like, "Ah, oh, man, these short troopers are amazing. Like, I, I can't believe I didn't notice them before. And then they, he went to go look up stuff online. Like, oh, if I run short troopers with these upgrades and do all this in this order, this is really powerful. And that started getting hammered every time. It was just like almost no chance. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, is it happening again with Legion? Man, this sucks. And then I, I, I eventually stopped playing. I started playing more with Josh. And then I gave my model to Cullen, so I haven't really played in a long time. So <laughs> there's that. So, like, nothing bad on Fantasy Flight games. They don't design their game. I don't know. I, I, I guess I have no idea how they design their games, like, what their philosophy is there. But they make tight games. They make awesome games. The rule books free online, always updating. And they are mixing things that are, like, they get too strong. But then there's always, there's always something, right? Like, you know, you, you get the idea. Uh, we have, okay, another question here from Crywolf. Luca, Luca, Luca. Who is Luca? I am Luca. Um, there is a professional football player with my name, and by football I mean soccer, uh, with my name too. So if you Google my name, you'll probably find him. Um, it's, a, it's a heck of a question. I like food. I like war games. I love video games. I love keeping it real. <laughs> I love that saying. Uh, the actual question though. On top of that is, uh, what is the average day for a mini wargaming member? Is uh, for example, is it a standard nine to five working hours? So yeah, it's uh, we work Monday to Friday, holidays off. We all kind of show up at nine, nine thirty ish, whenever. We have a schedule of what we're going to be doing that day, though that often changes. Like today, I was supposed to be playing agency work with Matt, but Matt had to go work on website stuff, so I'm doing this instead, and I'm working on models and working on some second edition content for Warhammer 40k. So like the, the day, the, uh, there's a lot of ebbing and flowing between what we actually do. But typically, show up in the morning, nine o'clock, and we already have. And I like like to, like if well today's technically Friday, but on uh, say on Tuesday, I knew I was playing 40k with Steve. I would I would talk to Steve. I'm like I really want to try some new Necron list. So he's like, oh, 100, I want to play Dark Angels because they're kind of new and relevant right now. So we just that's pretty much it. Like we I know I'm fighting Dark Angels, and he knows I'm playing Necrons. We don't really care what level of list we want to bring. We'll put our list on the side tables over here, and then we'll look at him like, all right, let's do this. Let's throw it down. So then we do the whole like kind of admin preamble of setting up a game, getting the cameras all and the equipment all ready, and then we do our intro army showcase. And the, at, like after like honestly, once the armies are on the table and you start rolling dice, you forget you're working, which is beautiful. And I love this job, and I, I consider myself very lucky. But everything leading up to that, you know, waking up in the morning, the drive in. And, kind of waking up again after the drive putting me back to sleep and that whole morning thing is a little arduous but you get through it and then you get through them and then the, the day just flies because you're playing a you're playing typically a longer tighter game of warhammer 40k because everything's recorded and we're trying to make sure we get like a, a good majority of the rules right and the perception that we get rules wrong is because we're getting scrutinized by thousands of people but i mean thousands of eyes are watching every game we do so if we forget something here and there it happens but we're trying to play tight. We're trying to make sure all the movement's good, and um, we we want to make a good game for the viewers. We don't want we want to make sure we're not going to have a game that's over on turn one. Albeit that does happen sometimes, but those are more comical than anything, just because a weird dice or maybe a bad deployment. 
And uh, yeah, that's and then you know we finished recording our game. Uh, I don't know. It could typically around three thirty four. We clean up the studio, put all the train back on the shelf, put our armies back in the boxes, put them back up on the shelf, and we kind of go upstairs, wind down, maybe make plans for the next day, uh, build some models, paint some models, and then typically head home anywhere between like I don't know, or you can just like or you just head home. It's one of those. It's kind of if you got stuff to do, do stuff. If you don't don't you can work from home too like maybe you don't feel like sitting around maybe you just want to get home as fast as you can you want to go like watch something maybe you want to watch netflix while you build models or work on a project you're working on for the next day and it's, it's a pretty relaxed job so i again am very thankful for it. but that is typically the day you know you go in you have an idea of what you're doing or maybe your plans change and you have to adjust that was pretty much it i today i was going to be playing age of sigmar with matt and steve and josh are playing age of sigmar and Matt has to work on website stuff, so I'm doing this instead. Simple as that. Boom, we got another Boomer73. Luca, 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 what is the one model that is currently on top of your wish list for both 40K? Oh, you want one for 40K and one for Age of Sigmar? This is the model where budgets do not matter. Can be Games Workshop or Forge World or other company. Okay, well, 40K is easy. I do want to expand upon my Death Guard army a little bit, and I want a Spartan Assault Tank. Real bad. I want a Death Guard, Hellforged, Spartan Assault Tank. We were supposed to have one commission done, but uh, that was suspicious and it, it fell apart and we never got that Spartan Assault Tank. And this was like years ago. So this is like two years ago or like two and a half years ago. And we just never got that. And we never got really got back on that. It kind of requested one, went through most of the process, got it painted, but then it broke and fell and it, it shattered and then we never got it. And it was irreparable and it was, it was we, didn't, we didn't get another one. It was, it was kind of sad, sad on all parts. But I would like one for my Death Guard in 40k. I mean, and, and then for Necrons, I would love... I mean, let me... let me oh, One model, A eh, for Necrons. One model for Necrons. Void Dragon, I think, maybe. Uh, I have... Ah, oh, man, that's a tough call. I, you know what? I think the Spartan Assault Tank for my Death Guard. That or a Chaos Knight. One of the two. I'll, I'll go for Spartan Assault Tank. That way I can have that for 30k when I play Death Guard as well. When I play with a Horus Heresy Death Guard, I have a cool Spartan Assault Tank. It's just one of my favorite models. It's just... It's just a gigantic land raider that's just super thick and it's got eight las cannons on it. It's so cool. It's super expensive points wise though. So is that before Age of Sigmar? Right? You know, funny enough, I don't actually have an Age of Sigmar army. Every time I am interested in buying an Age of Sigmar army, the, the the studio just trumps me and just absolutely just gets it way faster than I could ever feasibly build and paint an army. So I just kind of lose interest in like what, like for Nighthaunt, I absolutely wanted to buy a Nighthaunt army. I was going to buy everything for Nighthaunt, and then the studio just had a full night like two star like two or three starter boxes painted and built right away and, and then the, as the models came out the studio got all of them and then when the studio started falling behind on it, i'm like oh i can go get my nighthawn army and then someone's like oh i think matt or josh asked me what do we need for the nighthawn i know we're, i know we're missing a lot i'm like oh yikes i guess uh um here's all the stuff that we're missing and we got it all and then it was all painted up and i i think i have the entire nighthawn collection like probably like seven thousand eight thousand points of nighthawn over on the shelf over there so i'm like okay well i guess i'm not gonna get nighthawn and then what was, actually, I don't think any other army really screamed at me for Age of Sigmar because I like death armies typically. Pleasure to court. I never really cared too, too, too much for the ghoul stuff. Even when I played the vampire counts in fantasy, I shied away from the ghouls. I liked the skeletons, the zombies, and the ghosts, and the vampires specifically. And then Legion of Nagash came out. I'm like, I technically have a Legion of Nagash army, but they're all on square bases. But the studio has a massive one on circular bases. We, we, we play with the circular bases. So I'm like, well, there's no, reason, there's no reason for me to rebase my vampire count army for Age of Sigmar because the studio has a massive one. And that way I get to keep my fantasy army. So Age of Sigmar, it's a tougher question. Now what I could tell you instead is what I would like from Age of Sigmar 
is a freaking Soul Blade army. Give me a freaking Soul Blade army, Games Workshop. Give me some heavily armored vampires on foot, on steed, on dragon. That's pretty much it that we can think of. Give me powerful magic. Give me insanely powerful combatants. Or, because they're obviously not going the other direction, I would have liked to see the, not Flesh Eater Courts, but the, the Legion of Nagash be more like the vampire. When you're playing vampire counts in Warhammer Fantasy Battles, your army is crap, but your vampire is amazing. Your vampire is an army on his own. He is literally like out of the books, super fast, best one-on-one -on -one fighter, most powerful mage, right? Like, it's all that. He's got everything. Like, when you, you know, when you look at a video game, like, what's a vampire doing? It's like, he's like, agility, strength, stamina, bam, everything's like maxed out, magic capability, and it's just speed. All of that's way up there, but the army's just like, boo, nothing. The army's just there to support the vampire, and it's so freaking cool. Well, Graveguard are pretty good, and so are Cryptors, obviously. Uh, Terry is pretty good too. All that stuff's good, but like when you talk about like the core, the skeletons and the zombies, they're not, they're not carrying you anywhere. They're there to tar pit enemies and get enemies stuck in endless combat while well, the vampire just cars through the enemy lines like nothing. I would have loved if that kind of reigned true in Age of Sigmar, but I think a vampire just has like five attacks that hit on threes, wound on threes, rend one, d3 damage, and it's just like, ah, cool. It's all right. And you can't really make them that killy. So like a reprint of the Legion of Gash book, maybe. Failing that, just give me a Soulblight army where I just have a bunch of vampires that are all kind of good. I would definitely get into that. But I can't tell you what single model I would like. Um, and then we have a couple questions here from Lord Terry Kuss or Terry Cuss. Hey Luca, would it be cool if someone sent you their lore for a custom dynasty and wanted to hear your opinions on it and slash their chosen dynasty traditions and circumstances? If so, expect an email from me. By all means, LucaMiniWarGaming.com. I will accept anything background related. I mean, you just email guys. You can just email me anything really. Well, I mean, I suppose. If it's silly, I would probably, I'll chuckle a little bit, but I probably won't respond. Or maybe I will, I don't know, we'll see. If I get a lot of emails, I typically skim through them. As, as, as bad. I, I try to respond to every email I can. Uh, and it's luke at miniwargaming.com if you want it. Uh, that's with a K, by the way. I know a lot of people try and spell. I, I, I am certain I probably had a ton of emails missed because people have spelled it L-U-C-A, but it's L-U-K-A. Uh, yeah, by all means, uh, Lord Terrykus or Terrykus, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, by all means send it to me and if you want, maybe I'll try to replicate it and play it on the channel. I'm always, I, I did that for a, uh, I made a custom dynasty the other day to play against Dave and I had a ton of fun doing that. And there's a lot of dynasties out there for that. And then your follow-up question was, if you haven't seen my other question, I did, uh, but see this one, I would love to the, you answer it. Do you know what a Necron Astral Bridge is? No, I do not know what a Necron Astral Bridge is, but I assume it has something to do with traveling between point A and point B through the non-normal means, or maybe that's a reference to how the Necrons just typically travel, well, Necrons travel through the galaxy just by going real fast, I'm pretty sure. Like, they have their own weird FTL. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into the science of that because I don't want to sound like a fool if I'm wrong. But I do not know what an astral bridge is. I assume it's a means of travel for them. If you wanted to tell me what that is through the email, you're going to send me about your army, your dynasty, by all means. We're getting through them. We're getting through all the questions here, folks. Donnie777. Hey, Luca. Loving the Necron content at the moment. Please do a video of the new lore. I watched all four hours of the Necron review, you're a trooper. <laughs> Anyone who watched all four hours of that, I am so sorry. 
of the new lore. I watched all four hours of the review in hopes of more lore. The passion you have for the lore in that video is what I see in myself. But for Space Marines, please do some update lore videos when new books come out like you have done before. Big thanks. Vol for life. Awesome. I, I love the lore for 40k. I do. You know what? I actually absorb most of my like actual 40k lore through codexes and the rule book. I, and Eisenhorn and Ravener and all of that. Those are the only 40k stuff I read. I've not read like any modern 40k stuff like when Gilliman came back or the, what's it called? Was that Age of Sigmar or the Plague Wars? I think Plague Wars is 40k. I haven't read any of that. I've been so focused. My book focus has all been like Horus Heresy and like random sci-fi in between, that, like random sci-fi in between that when I need a break from the Horus Heresy. Like I read Dune recently again. And um, not read, I listened to, I listen to audiobooks. Uh, I am on. I am currently on the Crimson King for the Horus Heresy, which is um, the Thousand Suns trying to piece Magnus back together uh, after Lehman Russ broke his back after the Burning of Prospero. So it's a continuation of the Burning of Prospero, essentially, or a Thousand Suns, whichever one. They're both kind of the same timeline, just different perspectives. Uh, I have not read too much modern 40k stuff, but um, I do. I love. I love reading the codexes, finding out like neat little lore tidbits, or like maybe you didn't know that about that name character, or maybe you didn't know about that name character existing at all, and stuff like that. I or I typically learn a lot of my information from Josh. I'll say something cool about a character. He's like, "Did you know this? Or did you know that?" I don't know. Josh is kind of a, a font of random 40k knowledge as well, uh, as well as the Horus Heresy. So if I, if I if I know anything from 40k, it's typically from one of the codexes I read, or from or from or from Josh. <laughs> Next, oh, I mean, I'll, I mean, it's it's tough to do the lore videos because I'm usually pretty booked up with battle reports. I'm constantly doing battle reports or preparing to do campaigns or more battle reports. So it is kind of hard to find the time to do the lore videos. But anytime I can, I will. But it won't be anytime soon. So I, my nose is itchy. I apologize about that. Next question. Imalu55, Luka, 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 what's the biggest winners and losers from the new Necron Codex, in my opinion? Do you think a mostly melee Necron army is viable for a 9th edition now? To the second question, yes, I do, because I think you can make a very powerful um, custom dynasty with a tradition and a circumstance of awakening. Uh, you can just you can just rapid expansionist, and you just, your whole melee army moves six inches in the first battle round. Um, or you can go with no, and then the, the other one's kind of up to you. There's a few good choices there, though. Oh, sorry. My back stretch. I'm getting old. There's a couple good choices there. Or you can go with Novak, which get, I believe they get extra AP on um, in the first round of combat, as well as rebuilding hit rolls for melee. Sorry, it's uh, escaping my mind right now. Um, I, I, I absolutely believe you can do an all-melee list for Necrons. In fact, I have one built already, ready to go. It's like one of the many lists for Necrons I have built, but I haven't had the chance to uh, actually play in them yet. And as for the first one, what is the biggest winner for the Necron Codex. <sighs> death Marks are up there. I think Death Marks are going to make a strong showing. I really do like the, albeit the Doom Scythe is 200 points, but its consistency went, and it was good before, people used to run it before, but its consistency is way up there with that heavy death rate. I know people aren't happy with the Lord of War choice for the Monolith, but I think the Monolith is a big winner. It can be an, it, it has, I don't know how competitive it's going to be, but it fills that role that used to fill back in the day where it's that very imposing middle piece of your army that's just going to sit there and ominously annihilate my enemies for me. And my opponent's either going to ignore it because it's super durable at, at toughness 8, 2 up save with 24 wounds, 
or they're going to try everything they can to take it out, whereas the rest of my army will be relatively safe from firepower in the first turn or two of the game. And another winner, I think, is the Tesseract Vault because of the nature of... There's a new stratagem that lets you... Well, it's not really that new, but it lets your Tesseract Vault fight at full strength. It's got 30 wounds, 4 up and vulnerable save. That's scary. And because of the newer Catan powers, those are really good too. But that's also a Lord of War, so it's going to be kind of hard to make that work. It won't benefit from any of your Dynasty Trace, but I still think the Tesseract Vault's pretty good. And the biggest winner, the biggest, oh, and the biggest losers, I think, again, Locust Destroyers, which are the old destroyers, they are 330 points for six of them. Uh, 400 if you want to put a heavy destroyer in there. They lose the ability to fall back and shoot unless you have a Royal Warden. They're, ex like, oh, the biggest, I, okay, when I say biggest losers, the amount of power they lost in, since their last incarnation, like Tomb Blades as well, kind of a hit but you can bring small squads of now but now you can bring small squads of tomb blades and just zip onto objectives and you can even make them obsec with a tradition a, di a dynastic tradition so you can just have tomb blades zip around and grab objectives and they're not going to do much for you they're not good in combat their shooting is okay uh, and they're they're pretty survivable negative one here for shooting toughness five they got reanimation protocols living metal i think tomb blades are uh, pretty good in that regard as well but i'm salty about locust destroyers because I used to, I, Destroyers were super powerful in 7th edition with the Destroyer Cult. We got to reroll all wound rolls and all armor penetration rolls against vehicles. That was really obnoxious. That was super competitive. And then 8th edition Destroyers just kind of killed anything they looked at if they were able to survive. And they can just fall back and shoot. But they kind of had like shorter range. Now these Destroyers here don't fall back and shoot anymore. The reanimation protocols aren't that effective for them. It'll, it'll work every now and then, but not, not as much as you'd hope. They have Living Metal, which is nice, and their Extermination Protocols went up to two command points instead of one, which it needed to, but it also lost the rerolling hit rolls, uh, rerolling all failed hit rolls. Now it just rerolls all wound rolls for two command points. Ah, uh, I'm not, like, I'm going to run them still, because they're still good. They can still perform well, but they took a big hit from what they used to be. And I'm trying to think of something else that took a big hit. Biggest losers in this. I, I'm, I, they've typically brought everything that was bad kind of up. And they brought the destroyers down a little bit. So, I don't, I'm not saying destroyers are worthless, garbage, useless. I'm just saying they took a hit from what they used to be. I think death marks went up way in power. Immortals are better. Necron warriors are better. Because of the way random protocols work now. And, um, I think, a, okay, a big loser in the book is that canoptic reanimator. That is kind of a that is kind of a worthless nothing model. It's not going to really accomplish much for you in your army. So I don't know. Like it, it can give Necron Warriors a four up. It's going to die right away though. Like the only time I ran it even moderately successful is I had a monolith in my army and I was able to hide the reanimator right beside the Necron Warriors behind the monolith and no one can see it or shoot it. But the second the monolith wanted to go charge something, the reanimator is exposed and it just got shot and killed like like next to no effort as well. Like it's got. I think it's got a 3-up save and like five, six wounds at T5. It's so easy just to knock that thing out. It's so bad. It's just not worth it. Like, it's just, it's, you're better off just bringing like a different unit. Oh, and I think Resurrection Orbs uh, are kind of a winner as well. They went up a little bit in power. They can actually bring back entire units, potentially bring back entire units of uh, Necron unit. And I'm, I'm excited to be running some of those, especially with the Orb of Eternity with the uh, plus one of the roll to upgrade it. And I think, I think I would, I, I think because the res orbs are more like what they used to be. 
kind of more like what they used to be. Not really, I shouldn't say that, but Resorbs are going to be seen a lot more on the table, I think. At least one, maybe two. And the Orb of Eternity, I think I'm going to have a lot of fun bringing that. I don't know how good it is. Again, I haven't done much theory crafting into the most efficient way of building Necrons, but I have a lot of lists on how I want to play my Necrons, and I, I have high hopes for them. I do, I do. And if you... What is the biggest winners and losers from Necron code? Oh, next question, mentality. I think I answered... Oh, man, you need a lot of questions from me here, my man. Oh, that's a lot of questions. Okay, I'm going to try and go through this quickly. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of time left. I'm already over an hour, I believe. Um, this, is, this was one. Could you do me a favor and try this strategy out in one game? Uh, so no matter what I do, always shoot and fight in the most efficient wounds-causing manner, as an example. Um, say there's like a repulsor with one wound left, but I had to kill it for an objective. And there's a squad of um, like 10 intercessors beside it. Now, if this unit shoots at the repulsor, it'll probably kill it, but it's only going to do the one wound. Whereas, if I shoot at the, um, the intercessors, I could, uh, okay, I could potentially wipe them out, therefore causing 20 wounds. So th this mentality wants me to do this strategy, where I just do as much catastrophic damage as I can every phase, even if it goes against the green, even if it goes against the green for the strategy of the game. And typically, put the weapons that are supposed to go into like bolt guns into infantry, plasma into like heavily armored infantry and like anti-tank weapons only into anti-tank, or only into tanks and all that stuff. I mean, I could try that out, but it's gonna make me feel real bad if I lose the game because of it. Typically you need to focus on what's the most important thing to kill, like, out, like bolt guns or flares might not be the best at taking out an impulsor or, or a repulsor, but if I need to do that last wound and they're the only thing left, you better believe I'm gonna shoot that repulsor. But another question from, oh no, that was the only one from Mentality. Waylander11. Luca, 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 me and my friends have been getting into 8th edition fantasy. I play Dark Elves and I'm having trouble with the Empire Steam Tank. I can't see any high strength options in the army book to deal with it. Any thoughts, tips, or tricks? Best bet's magic. If you're not house ruling against any magic, that Steam Tank is going to suffer against Shadow. It would be Shadow. Yeah, Shadow Magic. Shadow, or Death Magic. Shadow, Death Magic, which you both have access to, is the best answer to Steam Tanks. You're t we're talking about Pit of Shades and um, uh, Purple Sun, both of those will deal with that steam tank, no problem. Just get it off the table. Now that's if you want to be a jerk. There are lots of, um, you could shoot bolt throwers at it a bunch, like single shots, not really worth it. Maybe fishing for sixes. But I, I recommend, mag magic's your best bet to deal with the steam tank or just throw a unit into it and just, don't, like, you don't even throw a unit into it, you just keep units in front of it. Constantly just sacrifice units to, in front of it, uh, be it Dark Riders or whatever you want to do. That's your best bet for a steam tank. It's otherwise, the, the steam tank is literally built to be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with most things in melee, but its weakness is magic, and that's how it was designed. So your best bet is to deal with it through uh, other artillery, uh, by cannons, which Dark Elves don't have access to, or simply magic. Magic is the Dark Elves' best answer to that. Um, or um, Hellbron could take it out, because she's strength 10, and it would have no save against her attacks, and she could mess it up real bad, but that's if you want to run Hellbron and Witch Elves. But typically that unit's going to be more focused on not the... Not the steam tank, right? But I would recommend magic as the very easy access to that is Dark Elves. Um, it's Bard at heart. Uh, okay, we got Marshy3096. I saw the open vault a few weeks back and you were talking about doing the 40k risk. It would be cool if you could incorporate 9th edition into that so when you attack a territory, you play an incursion battle with that many points. Let me know what your thoughts. A bit like Dawn of War, uh, Soulstorm slash Dark Crusade. Absolutely. I love Dark. That Dark Crusade, Soulstorm campaign stuff was awesome. I always played the Necrons. Like, every time. You just have like a little map of 
a continent on this planet and then you start in one area and all the other races start in the other areas and you just bloop, go over there and you do the fight. I would, I think that would be super, super freaking fun and that'd be co super cool, but that would take, that would be the longest game of Risk ever. At, well, I don't know, maybe there's a world record for longest game of Risk and this probably wouldn't beat that, but this kind of goes in line with what they used, what they did for Warzone Apothesis before I got hired, which I really wanted to be a part of, but it was all booked up, so I couldn't. I just kind of just did regular battle reports instead. But you have a galaxy map, plant or or planets in a star system, or just in a solar system, I guess would make the most sense. And you just fight over territories on this planet, and you do 40k games to resolve those fights, and you get little bonuses based on what you control in said in said fights in in, in those areas, and you get reinforcements, and you could have like. You could have it so it's um, every like little soldier is, I don't know, it depends on how many points you want to make. You could say like every soldier is like 100 points in your army, right? And uh, the five-piece the five piece model is 500 points and the 10-piece the model is 1,000 points. So you could do like massive games that resolve those massive fights and you, you could like, you could, you could fight and then you, you play the, the game of 40k and you're resolving this fight, and then at any point in the fight, if you can tell you're losing, and you're on the attack, you can declare a retreat, and then you lose the amount of, you commit, you, you know, you say you have a force of like 20 fighter, 20 pieces, and then that would be, oh my gosh, how many is that 2,000 points, is that 10, 10 pieces is, yeah, it's 2,000 points, but you only want to commit like 500 points to the fight, so you send your, five, your 500 points, and you make a list of 500 points, and you do the fight, and you, you typically, you imagine what that list, and you try and keep that list always the same. It would be a lot of work, but it'd be a lot of fun. Would it be worth the work? Who knows? But that would, I would absolutely love doing something like that, because that's more akin to the Warzone Apothis. Luca Times 3 from Benny Bate. How do you think the new Space Marine changes will affect Grey Knights when their codex is updated? Three wound object terminators being troops. Sounds juicy. But what's in store for the Paladins? I'm almost certain the, the troop uh, terminators will go up to three wounds. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of tough to like say the paladins, because the paladins could be. I don't know, man. I think paladins at four wounds might be too much because paladins are already really good right now. But I'd like to see strike squads go up to two wounds. Paladins go up to three wounds. They're probably going to tone down some of their stratagems realistically because they've been doing that for the other two codexes. Expect. For your army, it's a safe bet. Any stratagem you like to fall back on all the time, expect it to get brought down a little bit and like all the other stratagems brought up a little bit. So all around, like I, I think they're trying to make so stratagems don't have as big of an effect on the game or be as oppressive as they were before. Now I could be completely wrong there, but that seems to be the direction that they're going and I'm being invaded. Yes. What would you like? Oh, he's leaving now. All right. That was Josh. But... He's still out there. No, all right. But no, um, what was that? I lost my train of thought. I don't know. I, I expect the strategies, uh, the more powerful granite strategies to be brought down a little bit. And I don't know, Paladins going up to four wounds would be nice, but I don't think they will. But I, I'm almost certain the troop uh, terminator is going to go up to three wounds. Most likely. All right, here we go. Thermosphere 428. Luca, 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 heed my prayer. This is a bit of a harder to answer and more of an abstract question, but what army for the death granted legions in Age of Sigmar would you like to see get a new battle tome next? And which one needs new models? Or would you rather we get an entirely new death army and battle tome? And if so, 
What kind of ideas for one do you have off the top of your head? Well, everyone already knows the answer to this one. I've already said it earlier in this show. Soul Blight. I'm almost certain before the Mod Tribes book came out, they and the Sons of Behemoth, and all like well before them, and they were, they teased um, icon iconography of the armies that were going to be potentially uh, coming out in the future. And I swear, one of them was uh, like um, a head of a a helmet that had the design of the vampire army, which is like the multiple plates, like dragon scales, kind of coming uh, up and off of the, the the helmet. And I was like, that's Soulblight. That has to be Soulblight, right? And nothing else has really come out about that. And I know we, we're always getting new death armies. There's Bone Reapers, Night Haunt, Flesh Eater Courts. There's a lot of death armies out there. Do we need another? Absolutely. And it needs to be Soulblight, without a doubt. Now, to answer your previous question, Legions of Nagash needs to be updated. It's got weird battalions. It's got weird old rules that were written with the idea, sort of, of second. They, they, it was released before Second Edition Age of Sigmar came out. And it was written sort of with the idea of Second Edition Age of Sigmar, but then Age, Age of Sigmar Second Edition changed up a little bit too because there was an immediate day one FAQ. So uh, it's a little janky right now. It was really powerful when it first came out. It's definitely fallen behind uh, quite a bit. The Mortar uh, the Mortarks need to be all rewritten. They are like real bad. Um, they don't need new models though. But what needs new models? Uh, boo. That's a good question. What needs new models? I wouldn't mind new zombies. I mean, the zombies we have are kind of cool, but new ones would be cool. New skeletons, maybe. Hmm. Now, what, uh, what, what from that army needs new models? It's a tough call, but I would like to see that get a new battle tome, at least get rewritten. And um, a Soul Blight army, like, without a doubt. All right. Luca, Luca, Luca. Phantombaz. Just got some Baron Guard, Saves the Darkness. Nice. Uh, Matt was playing with them recently. And I was wondering what weapon set you'd... Ooh, I actually don't know the weapon sets that well. What weapon set would I recommend? Uh, the Demon Forge Blade giving mortal wounds on sixes to hit in addition to their normal damage, but the other two sets are pretty good too. Oh, yikes. Uh, I guess, you know what? I'm going to take a second to look at them and give you an answer. Okay, so the... The different, I, I knew there was one weapon that had a lot of attacks. There's like the regular weapons that are uh, six attacks, threes and threes, run one, one damage. Then there's the demon blade weapons that are uh, threes and threes, run one, d3 damage. So it's kind of mathematically, well, they could do more damage, right? The six attacks can do one, they can do nine, and they do more wounds in addition to their normal damage. The spear, I would not do the spear. So I don't think there's anything wrong with the demon blade or the six attack weapon. I typically like a lot of attacks. I like to throw out a lot of attacks, especially since uh, run one. It's just not really cutting it these days too much anymore. So the D3 damage on the Demon Forge Blades might not actually get through to be that much damage. You might only really get like two of them through and it might end up being like four damage. Whereas the, the other attacks you might get like four through that might end up being more about... Uh, they should they should kind of end up being about the same damage. But the Mortal Wounds might help a little bit too. I, I personally would go with the Demon Blades because I think they're cool. But the, extra, the more attack ones might be better. I don't know. Uh, especially if there's weird spells that you can give on them that do mortal wounds in addition to the normal damage. So then, therefore, the... Ah. I would go with the Demon Blades because I think they're the coolest. So I think you're making the right call there. In fact, i got to bring up the questions again. I would personally go with the Demon Blades. I would not do the Spear, though. No Spear. <laughs> All right. Luca, your general thoughts on some more gear abilities becoming stratagems and other changes to the Space Marine Necron Codex that we can assume will be copied over into the new wave of releases by Big Mikey. Okay, well, general thoughts on... I do, I kind of like, it's a cool take on stratagems, making it so it's war gear, uh, activating them, like uh, smoke launchers on 
a lot of your vehicles have the smoke launchers keyword, I, I think it's that keyword, and you can spend one command point when you're shot at to instead of shoot at your smoke, and it's more reactive than proactive, and you get negative one hit, that's way better. Like, super, super good. Uh, now, I'd like to make fun of the Reavers and the shock grenade going to a stratagem, because it was already, it was so good before, right? Um, I think it's, I like it. I, I am a fan of it. I like uh, war gear related stratagems uh, with certain units, and I can appreciate it. Now, my thoughts, I'm trying to speed up my answers here a little bit because I wasted, not wasted, but I put a lot of time into the previous ones. Um, my thoughts on the changes on upcoming codexes based on what I've seen in Space Marine and Necron codexes. I expect a lot of the stratagems to go like this, crunch all together, and a lot, of, a lot more of the focus is going to be on the data sheets of the units themselves where the stratagems are going to be, you're going to be bringing lists based on the stratagems still because of what the stratagems are focused. The stratagems are more focused on the units doing cool things and what you can do with units. So your your builds are going to exclude a lot of the stratagems you have uh, available to your army, which they kind of did before. But we're not going to have super oppressive stratagems in the game that much. Like mostly for like the Necron ones are pretty tame before, but we can see extermination protocols got the nerf it needed. And if you let me look at the Space Marine Codex, all the really good character-based super killy strategies were thrown out the window. The fight twice now and assault intercessors and everything's just kind of tame. Now, like Transhuman got better for Primaris, but it got worse for everything else, right? So I don't know. I, I expect a lot of this with the strategies mostly. And the same thing with artifacts. All the artifacts that were like must bring artifacts before, those are probably gone or being changed. And all the other artifacts are being brought up a little bit too. So they're just trying to they're trying to bring internal balance back to the books, which is a beautiful freaking thing. And I would love to see that going forward with the other codexes. All right. We got uh, Cactustu. Luca, I summon thee. What is your favorite unit in the new codex? Your choice of the worst unit. And what is your favorite rule change? I am a huge fan of the... Okay. I think... I'm a, I love the new um, the new shards. Absolutely, they're my favorite unit without a doubt. The Nightbringer specifically. That's an easy answer there. But I'm also surprisingly a fan of the Scorpec Destroyers. And they're, they have a strategy called Whirling Death, I believe. Where whenever they're attacked, there's negative one to wound. So a big squad of six of them at toughness five, negative one to wound. Incredibly durable. And I'm a huge fan of that. I love durability in my army. I do not like losing models. So I, I do like that. Um... And Deathmarks got a heck of a lot better too. You, I would not be surprised to see Deathmarks in most every list. Now, for things that... Choice of the worst unit in the book. Flayed ones are still kind of weird. Um, but they can be good. They can be okay. I think, no, I think Games Workshop did a good job of bringing everything in line. There's a lot more... There's a heck of a lot more internal balance in that Necron Codex than there was before. And that is the main reason I'm happy. Um, and I, I kind of do, I, I, so I'm happy with the reanimation protocol change as well because there was a lot of times before where I just wouldn't get it and that was super bummed me out quite a bit. I have 20 Necron warriors and then one single Lehman rush with the Punisher just wiped them all out in, uh, in, in, in this double shooting phase. Now, technically that first Lehman rush Punisher would do its volleys. I guess no, it, would, it would shoot again. Actually, I don't know how that one would work. That's an interesting one. I'd have to look at the rules on both of them. Without them available to me, I don't know the answer to that, so I shouldn't go further down that uh, train of thought. But, uh, like, a Space Marine army would be able to take out a squad of 20 Necron warriors, not in one unit shooting, but in, like, multiple things combined fire at them. But whereas now, like, maybe I'll get a couple of those warriors back, I'll get a couple of those warriors back, I'll get a few of those warriors back, and maybe, and then I'll gain a lot of movement. Also, when the Space Marine player is like, you know what, I'm not going to shoot at them anymore, because I'm just going to get them on in the middle of the table, and I'm not going to kill them this turn. And then he can pop a Res Orb and get a lot of them back, and then... 
Yeah, there's, ah, there's I, way better rule than it was before. It's it, the Games Workshop did a good job of making it kind of like the seventh edition, very effective reanimation protocol, but not quite as boring and lame as it was too, and a little bit more counterplay for your opponent. Because if you if you can wipe out my unit, then I don't get it at all. But luckily, I at least get the rule now, as opposed to before where I did not. Is it better? I don't than it was before. It was good before, but it was very swingy before. It, it was all or nothing before, right? And it's at least now I get more chances to bring things back. So they, they took what was the old reanimation pole that could be up here or down here. It could do nothing at all. You might lose all your units or you could like lose five of your destroyers and get all five back the next turn. And they kind of brought it in line where it's more, it skews up and down nicely now. It doesn't go up or down. It, it doesn't frustrate your opponent as much and your opponent knows more. Like it's not like your opponent is ends their turn does a good amount of damage to you and is now stressed out at the beginning of your turn waiting for your reanimation protocols to go off. They are, they know, they know the amount of damage they caused and they can be confident with that. I think that's like one of my favorite rule changes other than the Catan shards. Uh, Smiling Kira, last, one of my last two questions. Two questions, which named I, th I thought there was another question I may have skipped earlier. Which named character from 40k lore you think should get an official model from Games Workshop or updated resin to plastic? I would like to see Lucius the Eternal get a new model. I don't know why, but I, I mean, my mind immediately just went to him when I read that. Hmm. Any of the Necron characters too. Like any of the named Necron characters, they're all kind of old and resin, and I'd like to see them get updated. But I, my mind immediately went to Lucius the Eternal for some reason. Even though I have like no immediate ties to the Emperor's children. Uh, which Loyal Primark do you think should return in the, in the lore next? I would love... See, I would love if Lehman Russ came back, because I play Space Wolves, and I would have a blast, absolute blast playing with Russ, man. But I think narratively it'd be really cool if the Lion showed back up. Because then Lion and Gilman didn't really end on good terms in the Heresy. And um, the Lion was always suspicious of Gilliman uh, with the Imperium Secundus that he was trying to overthrow the Emperor and make uh, become, forge an empire of his own, which is essentially what uh, Gilliman has done now. He's the Emperor Regent. Uh, it's, it's, com it's, it's kind of known that uh, Gilliman has theories on the Emperor and is kind of punishing him and keeping him as a decaying corpse on the throne. And that he does have a, maybe knows a way how to bring the Emperor back, but decides he's not worthy for him to come back. And he, he wants to run the Empire himself. So that would be a very interesting conflict if the line was to come back, be reinvigorated. And then we would have a, like a, a split Imperium. One, like one half that follows the line and the other half that follows Gilliman. I would love that. Love that. Uh, Gnome King, Luca, 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 just curious what the tattoo on your right forearm is in reference to. I love watching the battle reports. Glad you know the content. This is a, uh, a new Phyrexius. Oh, sorry, I guess. Uh, it's kind of like folded in. It's like a new Phyrexia symbol. It's a Magic the Gathering thing. The new Phyrexian, the Phyrexians, the new Phyrexians uh, corrupted Mirrodin, which was a, uh, an artificial plane created by... His name is also Karn, right? Is his name? K-A-R-N. I'm having a, uh, a brain fart right now, but created by... So they made... Uh, uh, Urza made an artificial planeswalker because Urza's weird and a genius. And then this artificial planeswalker, after Urza died, went on to make his own plane of existence. And then this... But he brought with him a corruption of these guys called the Phyrexians that he fought. And then this corruption kind of 
but it was like a new take on the Phyrexians and it wasn't like the, the old Phyrexians were just like a name of like a t type of people they followed Yawgmoth and there's a lot to it there's a lot to it I just like I always thought the original Phyrexians were really cool and I liked the symbol for the new Phyrexians so I just kind of went with it it was kind of like a gut instinct I'm like yeah like I, 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 have a, I have a list of a bunch of tattoos I want to get and this is the first one I wanted to get and I just haven't really got around to getting other ones um there's another question here that I didn't get around to answering, and I'm not too sure where it was. One second. Found it. This was the other question from Mentality that I, hard, that I had a hard time finding, but I found it now. Uh, have I seen the movie Groundhog Day? Yes. So long ago. So long ago. Does Steve ever remind you of... Steve pronounced this properly for me earlier. Puns... We need Phil. Nope, that's, that butchered it. Uh, he does not. I can't. Kind of. I don't know. It's, I was a child when I watched it. It's been so long, guys. Oh, <laughs> it would be so cool to have Steve's grinning head replace Phil's in that car chase scene. Can you make that happen? I can't. I'm no editor. Uh, and if you had to relive one day over and over, which is what Groundhog Day is, what are the first three things you would accomplish? I would wake up. Like if it's the same day. Like if I had like my like my morning routine, like I wake up, brush my teeth, make a tea, go to work, maybe eat a food. Sometimes I don't. I'm not, I'm not really hungry in the morning. Yeah, that's the last question. I can't. That that's a, what a wild name. Pun, Pung Swatney Phil. Is it Pun Pung Swatney? Man, I, that's a wild name. Steve pronounced it for me a little bit ago, but. In a way, I'm remembering that. Anyways, guys, it's taken up like your entire day, pretty much. So uh, I'm going to head on out. That is the end of the sit and talk. And I want to remind you, if you stuck through this whole thing, that if you have questions for Steve next week, leave them down below on the Mini Wargaming website. Go there, leave questions for him. That is where he will answer them uh, as best he can. And then after him, I can't remember. I believe it is um, Matt. But you know what? He will inform you of that when that comes around. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Hopefully I learned a few things here and there, and uh, hopefully I answered the questions adequately and I didn't butcher any names. So uh, see you guys next time in the next Sit and Talk or the next Battle Report or whatever it may be. And as always, much love, everyone. Happy Wargaming.